0: Amen. Well, good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are at, and welcome to, I think, a really fun and helpful conversation. I want to ask you guys a question. If your money could talk, what would it say about you? If your money could talk, what would it say about you? You know, there's probably a few different things that your money could be saying if we had an honest conversation with your money that would explain a little bit more about you. Um, You know, maybe your money would say something like, I paid a lot of interest on a lot of things that you are no longer interested in anymore. Maybe your money would say something different. Maybe you would say, I don't think you have any clue where I've ended up. Maybe for you and your money, your money might say, "Uh, you gave me away so often That the stories of what I did for other people could fill a book. Or maybe your money would say, you really like pizza quite a bit, huh? Now whatever your money would say about you, the fascinating thing that I find about finances is that your money will always tell a story. Your money tells a story. It tells a very particular story about you. In fact, your money and your story, as much as it's tied up in you and as much as it is a representation of where you've been, you actually have the power, you have had the power and you currently have the power to pick that story. That power, that agency within you to decide your story about your personal financial journey. And it resides right there that you can do what you want to do with your finances and pick the story that your money tells about you. Now, although I don't know your uh, banking history, I, don't, I haven't been in your bank account to see what that story actually is, I think the fascinating part about the, the financial journey is that um, all of us are in it. Whether or not you are a Christian or not, and, and, you, know, you're, you may not have a faith journey, and that's totally uh, f- fine for this moment because we're just glad that you're here. We're excited that you're along for the ride and the journey. We hope that is a part of today that you might lean a little closer into what Jesus would have for you. But maybe, you know, you're watching and you're a 15-year-old and, and you think a, a message on finances, like, my finances are pretty meager. And, and, and that's okay because the truth is is that no matter where you're at in your journey, maybe you're, you've been d- doing uh, business stuff for a long time, maybe you're retired. Wherever you're at in your journey, whatever your story is, the great thing is is that you spend money. You spend money. Sometimes some of you spend a lot of money, some of you spend a little bit of money, but you spend money. And because of that, this message is going to be perfectly suited for you. Now, because you spend money and because your money tells a story, likely the money that is a part of your life comes with a little bit of an emotional reaction. You know, the emotional reaction that you uh, maybe felt a little bit when you heard that today's message was going to be about money. You know, maybe the emotional reaction that's kind of churning around inside of you right now. Uh, and the emotional reaction will be different for different people. So for you, you know, your emotional reaction might be one of shame. That as soon as we start talking about money, you have get this really heavy sense of shame. Maybe for you, your emotional reaction is actually guilt. You've got guilt that just walls up around you. And, and you've actually built up a defense mechanism around the financial conversations because of how much guilt you've had over the years that you really don't want anybody speaking in, you don't want anybody looking in to your finances because of the amount of guilt that you've carried around your finances. For some of you, um, it's much different. Your, Your experience, your emotional experience is actually one of joy when you think about the story that your money tells and the story and journey that you've been on with your finances. For some of you, it's actually one of freedom. Your story has this pivotal moment where you experienced the ultimate freedom when it comes with your finances. And and the surprising thing is it may not have been from something that traditionally we think would bring freedom around finances. For some of you, the freedom that you have found with your finances actually comes from a decision that you made a long time ago to do things differently. To do things differently than your peers. And and these two emotional connections, these these two, the joy and the freedom, they're so helpful because for so many of you, the joy and the freedom that you've experienced is what we want everyone to experience when it comes to your financial journey. Wherever you're at, whatever your financial situation, I believe that today as we get a chance to talk about this topic of money, that you can from this day forward move towards joy and freedom in your finances. And for some of you, um, your experience and your feeling is actually just one of indifference. You know, you make enough to get by, you're not quite sure about what this whole idea of planning for things might be, or talking about money, it's just, you're fine, it's no big deal, let's not bring it up. And, and if that's working for you right now, hey, I understand, and, and surely you might be, you know, maybe drawn to check out of this whole message. But as we've been learning through this series, is there's actually a really important principle at play when we think about something like our money. And the principle, and it's been throughout this series is this, is that healthy people, we've been talking about habits of healthy people, healthy people aren't enslaved by their appetites. Healthy people aren't enslaved by their appetites. And you have appetites. I have appetites. We all have appetites. We have financial appetites, of which we're talking about today. But we all have appetites around food, obviously. I've got significant appetites around a pop and chips. Um, We all have appetites around our relationships and about being seen. We have sexual appetites. We have appetites that can enslave us. And as we've been discovering as a part of this series is that if we really want to be healthy people, we're going to find a way to not be enslaved and trapped by our own appetites. And today is no different as we talk about money. See, the interesting thing about uh, financial appetites is that it has dramatic ramifications throughout a person's life. You know, money is something that sparks all sorts of awfulness inside of each and every one of us. If we let our appetites control how we make decisions and how we have conversations and the job that we take and the, and the places that we live, if we let our appetite for finances be the thing that drives us, it will continually drive a wedge in between us and the people that are around us that we care about. In fact, if you do a little bit of research, you'll realize that couples... Uh, fight about all sorts of different things, but the number one thing that couples fight about is money. And the number two cause of divorce, right behind infidelity, is money fights. So your financial world has dramatic impact on even your closest relationships. But not only that, whether or not you consider yourself to be well off or not well off, the truth is that your financial situation uh, is worth talking about because what I've discovered is I got a chance to work in ministry alongside of all sorts of different people from different walks of life is that your financial decisions, your financial decisions can lead you to freedom whether or not you're, you have significant finances or not. In fact, I've met people who are on the poverty line or below the poverty line who are experiencing ultimate joy and freedom when it comes to their finances and God is using them to do incredible things. Likewise, I've found people who have private jets And they have an incredible joy and freedom when it comes to finances, not because they have private jets, but because God has released them to do his kingdom work in our world today, and they have so much purpose behind the finances that he has given to them. Likewise, I've met all sorts of folks that have been completely enslaved by their money, and they struggle. They struggle so much, not because they have money or they don't have money, but because they are wrapped up in this appetite. And there are people who are wrapped up in their um, appetite for money who make hardly anything, and there's people who are wrapped up in their appetite for money who are cashing in six-figure commission checks every single month. So this isn't about the dollar figures and the zeros in your bank account. This is about your heart. And, and the, the interesting thing as we talk about finances is that this isn't a new conversation. This is an actually a very old conversation, one that I've borrowed a ton of content and have actually lived my life by principles from Scripture that have been pointed out by a couple of people in particular. So Andy Stanley uh, and Dave Ramsey are these two figures. Andy's a a pastor uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Dave uh, runs a a business actually that talks about personal finances. I'm gonna reference them and some of the principles they've talked about throughout this message. But, But they've really helped me understand how as we look to the Scriptures and allow Jesus to actually speak into this part of our life that we can find the joy and freedom that so many of us are desperate for when it comes to our financial journey. So we're going to go there. Now, Dave and and, and Andy certainly have talked about money, but Jesus has talked about money lots too. In fact, Jesus, uh, interestingly enough, although he never asked for money, he talked about it all the time. It came up in all sorts of his teachings, in his conversations. And and for Jesus, it, it was so interesting to see how he really viewed our money as this chief competitor to our heart. He viewed our money as the chief competitor to our heart, and he had a lot of strong things to say. One of the things, in particular from the Sermon on the Mount that we want to go to in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, your treasure being your finances, your treasure being the things that you buy, your treasure being your financial picture, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. This interesting idea that that your treasure, and, and, and previous in this passage, he talks a bit about the idea that you can spend your treasure on things of this world, you can spend your treasure on things in heaven, treasures that, you know, gather up uh, significance in heaven, and, and this dichotomy that he kind of lays out is, is so helpful for us, because sometimes we forget the fact that the things that Jesus will call us to do, for those of us that, that call him our king, and that, that pledge allegiance to him, and, and, and follow our lives after him, you know, we forget that how we deal with our finances has significant impact because it allows us actually, when we have the resources, it allows us to do good kingdom work. And so Jesus draws this a distinction. He says you can, you can store up treasures in heaven or you can store up treasures on earth, but you can't do both. You're like, okay, treasures on earth? What are treasures on earth? Well, those are the things that you know, can break down, things that uh, you can be stolen, things that can uh, get you know, corroded, that kind of thing. They're basically things, the stuff that you can buy. And so these treasures on earth... And then there's treasures in heaven. The idea that that we could invest in good kingdom work, that we could take resources and actually help free people from injustices, that we could take the treasure, take our resources and allow God's work to be done in our communities that he's called us to. And and so this dichotomy lives because, because when we have our resources, we get to choose which treasure we invest into. And the fascinating part, I think, is that wherever your treasure is, that's where the desires of your heart will also be. Because sometimes we think like, man, what does it take? How, did, how, does it, how does some people get to be so generous? Generous people are people that give generously. It's not really shocking. People that, that give become generous people. You're not generous first and then that's, that's why you give. You actually give and then your heart follows along with your actions. You do the thing that God calls you to do, even if it doesn't quite make sense yet or even if you're not feeling it, and then your heart catches up. And this is what he's trying to explain. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. The crazy thing is that if you store up treasures on this earth, if you think about buying the stuff and feeding into that appetite, that appetite actually overcomes you and, be, and is the thing that drives your decision making. And so you end up having to choose, where do I want my heart to be? Now, Jesus says in another passage uh, in Luke, um, also on this topic of of our finances, he says, and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Now, the full implications of this this particular passage are difficult. I don't actually totally know the implications about, man, the, the fact if you're untrustworthy with your worldly wealth, that that has dramatic implications for the life here to come. But, but what I do understand is that when Jesus talks about money, he's talking about real resources that are sitting in our pockets and in our bank accounts. And he's calling us to do something with those resources, specific things. And if you're untrustworthy with your worldly wealth, it has implications with the life here to come. And so when you look at your bank account, What Jesus invites us into is not to view a small section of it as something that he can use, but instead see the whole thing as his. To see all of our wealth as something that he could use. In fact, he goes on to say that if, in the next part of the passage, if we can skip to the last part, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. But in both these instances, you're going to serve one of these masters. You're going to pick which one you serve. You're going to decide that I want to serve God or I'm going to serve my money. I'm going to be enslaved to God or I'm going to be enslaved to my money. And and you choose which one takes over. But then they take over everything. And this is the concept, the idea that you can't actually do both ends. You can't be focused on one and the other at the exact same time. It's an either or situation. And so for our money, you look at your bank account and you say, okay, is this all mine and I get to do with whatever I want with it? Or as Jesus is inviting us into, am I going to trust him with all of my worldly resources? Am I going to allow him to be the one that tells me what to do with all of my things. Now, the interesting thing is that um, if you're not a Christian, I mean, the idea that you would give over, um, we're just going to go back one slide there, you're going to give over your uh, financial uh, you know, stuff to somebody else and let them control it. I mean, that might be a bit of a stretch for you if you're not a Christian. I understand that. But the principle that if you would live just for yourself, the principle that if you would just spend all of your money and spend all of your stuff on your own personal appetites and let your appetite dictate your entire life. That's actually not helpful, and you kind of know that instinctively, even if you don't follow Jesus. Because you know, the truth of this is, if we go back, that if you just live for yourself, if you live for yourself, at the end of your life, you're only going to have yourself to show for yourself. If you live for just yourself, you'll only have yourself to show yourself for yourself. And that's no story to live out. That's no story that you want to share with your grandkids. That's no story on your deathbed that you want other people to be talking about that here was a person who lived their entire life just for themselves and the only thing that ever happened was that they lived for themselves and that's where all their resources lie. And Jesus understands that. That's why he invites us in. He's like, "Listen, listen, listen. Your appetite for money, it's going to compete for your heart and you have to decide. You have to decide" Am I going to allow my own personal appetites to drive my decision making or am I going to step back and actually allow God to be the one to infuse His desires on everything that I do, every single dollar that I spend? And so here's the principle and this is our bottom line for today. That you, that you are just a manager of money. If you can actually take this and instill it deep into your heart, this is the thing that's going to offer a ton of freedom for you. You are just a manager of of money. Everything that's in your bank account, everything that you're going to make, you are a manager of it. And what that means is that your money isn't yours, your money isn't yours, and you are accountable for what you do with all of it. Your money actually isn't yours, and you don't have authority to make the call on what happens with it. You are accountable, and so you go to the one who owns it and you invite him to speak into what you do with your resources. Now, that's a great idea, and it's a good concept. And, and truthfully, growing up in church, that was my story, I grew up in church, I, I've heard this tons of times before. This is, this is baked into my upbringing, and so for me, I would say all throughout my university years, when I first got a job, that yes, this is what I believed about money and finances. But, but I had a bit of an issue in that I didn't really understand practically how to live that out. I didn't understand practically what it meant to put God first in my finances and to live as if I'm just a manager of my resources and allow him to dictate what to do with it all. And so uh, there's this kind of principle thing that is, is helpful to realize. And, it, and it's an Andy Stanley quote, actually. I want to share it with you because I think it's good for all sorts of different areas of life. And that's the direction, not intention, determines your destination. Direction not intention. Because I've had all the good intentions in the world about being a good steward of my resources and a good steward about my money. My intention has been great, honestly, since, since I was a kid. But my direction has not been really clear. And, and the truth is that your direction is how you end up at destinations. It's this principle of the path. And I'm fairly convinced, although you might be able to prove me wrong, that about 9 out of 10 folks that have money problems don't actually have money problems, they actually have direction problems, that they're teed up in the wrong direction, and because of that, they can't seem to make any traction, and that really and honestly could be your story. It was my story, so, so what happened for us is that a number of years ago, um, Chantel is my wife, Chantel and I were, were dating, and we started talking about finances, and, and, uh, and we kind of recognized that there was some opportunities, I guess, to sort some of our financial situation out, and and what happened was, as we got engaged, and, and as, we, um, as we did the engagement parties and, and that kind of stuff, um, somebody gave us a gift that uh, we had already had. It was a duplicate gift. And so, uh, I took that gift and went to um, chapters to get a gift card, is what I was supposed to do. Um, but as so often happens when I end up in chapters, is I find three books that I really want to buy. And so, I found one that I thought I actually had heard about and thought would be fantastic. It was one that um, Was actually about money, and I thought this would be so fantastic. I'm going to trade this gift in. I'm going to get this book, and this might actually um, be helpful for us. It was called um, Total Money Makeover uh, by Dave Ramsey. You can buy it wherever books are sold. Um, It has sold lots. I've actually given this book away um, so many times because of what it did for Chantel and I, and for for our life and for our marriage. So we buy this book, and uh, it sits on the shelf because we're planning a wedding and we've got jobs and all that kind of stuff. We go on our honeymoon. We come back, and uh, in, in August of 2013, I pull this book off the shelf, and I start reading it the day after we get back from our honeymoon. And, and I read it in about a day and a half, and I went to Chantal, and I said, uh, sweetie, this is a really good book. I think you should read it. And I said, I think we're going to need to make some changes. Which, if you are married and you're about two and a half weeks into your marriage, I think we're going to make some changes isn't necessarily the most ideal thing that you want to communicate to your new spouse. And yet, uh, realistically, you know, my journey has been one of uh, trying all sorts of different uh, rules of life and way of viewing things, and, and I've you know done a lot of different and unique things in, based off of what I've read. So it's kind of was like a part of the journey of being married to me. So I read this book, I think you should read it, sweetie. And so we read the Total Money Makeover." And what it does is it actually transforms our understanding of these passages of Scripture and what it means to put God first in our finances. Because for us, we we were kind of, we had these great intentions. And and we had these two jobs that were great. And we had no kids, and, and we had very little, uh, or at least what we thought, monthly commitments. But But as we started digging through our financial picture, we realized that God was calling us to do specific things with our finances, and we were held back by our financial reality. And, and our financial reality was that we were just kind of living paycheck to paycheck with no direction or no plan. In fact, our story, before, after we read this book and we kind of looked through everything that we had, our story is that we actually had two student loans from, from each of us, and my wife is very smart, um, which means that she paid a lot for a lot of education. Um, we had a personal loan, that was my fault, and a car loan, also my fault, so I brought more debt, which is understandable, into the marriage, and so it's my bad. Um, but altogether, when we added up all of our, our debts the things that we were required to be paying, and that honestly most of our monthly expenses were related to to servicing these debts, it actually uh, equaled more than either of our annual uh, incomes before taxes. And so all of a sudden our eyes start to open to realize, I wonder if God's going to call us to do something with our money and we're going to be held back because we haven't been good managers of the money he's already given us. And so what I want to do right now is actually walk you through three commitments. Now these weren't three things that immediately became apparent to us, as we read that book and as we started off on our our journey. But they were three commitments that over the last number of years have been the things that have shaped and formed our understanding of how to serve God with our money. How to live out this idea that we're just managers of the resources that God entrusts to us. And so I want to walk you through. And and, and if you don't have like a financial plan or you don't have a, a really good sense of things, no matter, again, what your faith journey is at, this is going to be really helpful stuff. But I really believe that if you do call Christ your king, that we have to be good managers of our money. And because of that, we have to make sure that we are thinking these things through specifically. So, um, three things uh, to change your financial plan uh, that will, at the end of this, provide you with some joy, some freedom, and I think, honestly, put you on this path to do what God's gonna call you to do with your resources. Um, They're easy to talk about, but perhaps difficult to actually understand. We're going to breeze through them, but you got to know we're going to have a great conversation this Wednesday night online. Uh, You can send notes in the chat. You can put notes in Facebook because as we get kind of granular on stuff, you might have some questions about what this all entails. And I love talking about this because the freedom that has come from sorting out our financial plan and what God's allowed us to be a part of because of it, I just wish for everybody. So, and also, just so you know, in case you're kind of worried, like, when's the sell coming? Um, Like, when is he going to ask us for something? There's no sell. Like, I'm not out to get your money. Your money's out to get you. I'm not out to get your money. I'm here to make sure that you can get past money being an appetite that enslaves you, and so you can take control. So, three things. Here's what we do. Number one, we decide a direction as we talked about this principle of the path, the idea that your intentions aren't enough, that you need a direction. You need a direction for your finances that's really specific, that spans your lifetime. You need a plan from where you're at today to where you wanna be at some point in the future and it has to be clear enough that as money comes in, you know what to do with it because it falls in line with your plan. Now, the plan that I'm gonna show you is actually the Dave Ramsey plan. Um, It's what he calls his baby steps, there's seven of them. Uh, there's lots of plans, there's lots of other financial people who would tell you all sorts of different opportunities and ways to structure things. So, so this isn't the BL all end all, it's the be all end all for us, because it's our story, and so I'm gonna share it with you, you can take it, you can look on his website, he's got all sorts of great free resources on it, um, but if you've got a different one or a better one, that's great too. So this was the plan, number one, save $1,000 for your starter emergency fund. I remember us looking at each other and realizing, oh, if something goes wrong, like how do we pay for it? Like you actually need to set aside something for when the rainy day comes the rainy day fund. What happens when the car breaks down or you end up in an accident or you lose an income for a stretch of time. And so your first step before anything else is to set up a bit of an emergency fund. Now, depending on where you're at financially, this could be a big step. This could mean that you have to sell some things. It could mean you have to pick up a couple extra shifts. It could mean that you've got to do some rearranging in your world so that you can sock aside $1,000 solely for the purpose of having the security in case there's an emergency that comes. And what that means is that you don't have to rely on some of the other products that are out there for security reasons that are actually detrimental to you. Things like payday lenders, things like um, debt services, like credit cards. Instead, you have a set amount of money ready to go to cover any kind of emergencies right off the bat. So that's the first thing that you do. Now, after your starter emergency fund, you're going to pay off all your debts. Now, that's just your starter one. We'll get into more of that in a minute. After that, number two, you're going to pay off all your debt, except the house, using the debt snowball method. Now, this... This is the game changer. This was crazy to us. We had never heard before. We maybe had heard in some places, but never really listened. The idea that debt is actually really bad. That debt, in particular, all this consumer debt that we had is actually really, really bad. I'm not talking about mortgage debt here. I'm talking about the, the, the idea that lots of people have a ton on your credit card, that lots of people, again, have payday loans, personal loan. I had a car loan. I had, we had the student loan debt. All that stuff is not good to carry. We had no plan on how to get past that until we started looking through and we realized, oh, we need to pay off all of our debt. This is where we're going to focus our attention until all of this debt is gone so much of our monthly income was being slotted off to service these debts. So the debt snowball method, again, really quickly, but you can dig in and learn more, um, or we can talk more on Wednesday, is you take all of your uh, debts and list them from smallest to largest. You don't care about the interest rate at this point. You're talking about smallest debts to largest debts. And then you go minimum payments on every single one of them, and then you go to that smallest one, and you pile up as much cash as you possibly can every single month and hit it. So you're, again, if you need to sell some things, if you're picking up extra shifts, it's scorched earth on the rest of your budget. So it's like, hey, we're eating rice and beans. You know, we don't need to go to restaurants. We're not doing fancy vacations. We're going attacking this small debt with as much money as we possibly can. That is the thing that we're hitting. And then once you clear that smallest debt, you take all the money that you were spending, including the minimum payment on that small debt, and you roll it to the next debt on your list. And then once you clear that one, you roll it to the next debt on your list. And then the next debt on your list. And this way, you build the momentum that comes from going smallest to largest so that you can find yourself free of debt. And then commit to never going into debt ever again. It's this crazy thing. It's so funny. I remember when I went to buy a car for the first time and I explained to the person that I was negotiating with and talking with that I was looking for a car and I wanted to know the price of the car because I was going to pay cash for it. And they said, oh, this car here is like $300 a month. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to know the price of the car. How much is this car? And and for uh, the minute that we got through this and we paid off that car loan, we have paid cash for old clunker cars because we don't drive nice or new cars at all, but we drive cars that we can pay for in cash. And that is a commitment that we've made right from this very get-go. And if you're like, how do you ever do that? Well, once you get through the debt snowball method, you've got all of this income that is now free for you to start socking away that you can actually create money in your budget so that you're ready to buy cash, pay cash for a vehicle when the time comes that you need to get a vehicle, for example. So the debt snowball method, the whole idea of clearing your debt, exceptionally critical, let's move on, but would love to chat more if you've got questions. Um, Baby step number three is to save three to six months of expenses in a fully funded emergency fund. Now, wherever you land is just depending on how much uh, up in the air your particular industry is. If you think you need six months of expenses, because you could lose a job or an income at any point, that's great. If it's pretty secure and you wanna stay at three months, that's up to you, but the idea is you set aside money so that you can ride out the wave and not have to ever worry about going back into debt. That emergency fund sits there. It's not really fancy. It's not really interesting, but it's that security that sits there for you so that you're uh, set to go. Now, Number three, number four, invest 15% of your household income into retirement accounts. Um, The fascinating thing, and and if you did not know this, uh, this might blow your mind, um, but if you look at stock markets, they're confusing. We've got lots of people, if we need to connect you to folks, that can talk you through a little bit how to do this. But if you look at historical data from stock markets, you can set aside $100 a month, $100 a month, and over the course of 40 years, that $100 a month will turn into a million dollars in 40 years. Using historical data, this is the track record of the biggest index in um, the stock market world, the S&P 500, $100 a month. You do that consistently for 40 years, that's a million dollars. That's outrageous. Like 100 bucks a month is a lot of money, but it's also at minimum wage 10 hours a month of extra work in order to fund the future for you. And so to take some time and to take 15% of your household income to invest that into retirement is so essential and helpful because it gives you the freedom to do things in the future that you will be called to do, that you might need to do, and this is an honest game changer. you got to get into it. Number five, uh, save for your children's college fund. We have three kids. It's a lot of kids. Uh, Presumably, I don't know, but they're still like toddlers, but presumably they're going to go to college. The interesting thing, if you didn't know, is that the government will kick in 20% of whatever you put into your kids' college funds as extra free cash. Like, they give it to you. They say, hey, you're contributing, we'll contribute, and that's a great return on the investment right off the bat. So save for your kid's college fund. That's incredible. Um, up to a certain amount. You can do the research on that. Uh, number six, pay off your home early. Uh, you don't need to carry a mortgage for your entire life. You can be mortgage-free and own everything that is in your home because you're not buying the couch on payments, you're not buying the TV on payments, and you can actually own your own home. This is where the dollars are going. And then number seven, once you get through all of that, you own things, you are actually not beholden to anybody, you don't have debts that you're trying to service, you're ready to build wealth, and then to give. Now, build wealth and give is so important, because when you get to that baby step number seven, the idea is that when you're free from these other commitments, that you are actually going to have the opportunity to do unbelievable things that God is going to call you to do. But you only get that freedom if you're able to sort out some of this other stuff. Now, working through this baby step list is complicated and can be difficult. And so number two, the second thing that we did after deciding a direction, the second thing that we committed to right there in August 2013 is we decided to count every dollar. We wanted to count every single dollar so that, um, next slide, every single one of our dollars would actually count. We wanted to count every dollar that came into our household. We wanted to count it and then count as it went out and account for it because we wanted our dollars to count. And so for Chantelle and I, we said, especially at the start, we're like, listen, we don't know how to budget. Budgeting's complicated. It's like setting a number up and then believing you'll hit it. It doesn't always work that way. So what we said is let's actually just account for all the money that comes in as an income and then we'll give it a job. We'll give it a job and we'll say, okay, we need to pay this much much for our mortgage or for our rent. We need to pay this much for insurance. We need to put something towards groceries. And so we assigned all these categories. And then as we assign those categories, as the month went on, as we spent money, the money came out of the particular categories that we assigned it to. And so you can do this by if you have like a bank statement. If you're using um, you know, cards and it tracks it all, you can use it with cash. Envelope system is another thing that people use. But the idea is that every single dollar that comes in and every dollar that comes out is tracked. And this takes some time, especially at the start to get this up and going. It might be that you need to spend a couple hours a week kind of sorting this out. But I'll tell you now, and I've been doing it for seven, eight years, that it takes us about 15 minutes a week, and we've got everything accounted for, and I can tell you how much I spent on gas in July of 2014. I can tell you how much our, our heating bill was in 2015. Like It's so granular, but what ends up happening is it gives us the freedom to know exactly where we're spending our money and gives us the freedom to assign money to the things that we actually care the most about. And as you watch it and you have to be granular on it, you have to handle it each and every transaction because it's only then that you understand the full implications of what you're doing with your finances that then you get the opportunities to kind of see the bigger picture of what could actually happen when you take your finances serious. So you're gonna count every dollar, so every dollar counts. Now, when you manually track, there's a couple of ideas out here. Again, we won't go into too far details, but there's four different options for you that I know of. There's lots of budgeting softwares. The one that we use is called financier.io. If you wanna sync it across your devices, it's like 12 bucks a year or something like that. Every dollar is Dave Ramsey's thing. It's free, it looks really, really nice. It's actually pretty slick. Um, You can just use spreadsheets, you can use a paper and pen. The goal isn't whatever the tool is. The goal is to find a tool that you'll use and to manually track every single one of your transactions. That's the first thing you do with this. To count every dollar, you have to do number two though, and number two is to close out every month by adjusting to reflect reality. So if you spend $600 on groceries, but you only thought you were gonna spend $400, that's no problem, you just have to decide where you're gonna pull that extra $200 from. Is it going to come from your vacation fund? Is it going to come from a different fund? Where are you going to find that extra $200? And you start to move your numbers around to reflect reality. When you start tracking your uh, transactions and you're uh, reflecting reality, hopefully you'll get to a place where you can start to sock away money in categories that you don't need to spend yet. So like we're saving already for Christmas 2021 because we know it's going to come. So every month we put away a little bit of money so that we know we're ready to spend money on Christmas 2021 coming up in a few months because Chantel starts really early buying presents. She probably already has actually bought a lot of them. Um, So you adjust to reflect reality. You put money aside for your new car, whether you need a car, not a new car, but you put your money aside for your car when you need to replace it. You put money aside for car repairs. You have categories for all these kinds of things, and you close every month by adjusting reflect reality, and you build up money in some of those categories so that you have the opportunity to pull from them when you need to. And then the last thing, and this was, uh, again, a really game changer, is if you can live on your last month's income it's gonna be so much easier. You don't have to time your bills. You say, you know, tomorrow is the start of a new month, so this is great timing. So tomorrow you say, for all of February, we're gonna track all of our spending. And if you can, if you can do this, this is amazing. All of February, you just take all the money that you make and you set it aside, and then in March, all the money that you made in February is the money that you spend, or you budget and you assign to categories. And so it just makes it super clean cut, really, really simple. If you can do that, that's fantastic, or work towards that. This has been the process that we've been able to use. So first thing, you gotta decide the direction, you have to count every dollar, and then the third thing that you're gonna do is you're gonna give extravagantly. Because as you start to track things, as you start to have your direction, you start to find money and resources and pockets and openings where all of a sudden you're like, where did that come from? And we have this, what are we gonna do with this? And you get this chance to give like you've never given before. And for us, this starts really simply with deciding on purpose every single month that we would give consistently a percentage of our income. It's what I was taught from the very beginning. As a kid, the concept is called a tithe, tithe meaning 10%, that every single dollar that I got, 10 cents, went back to God through his local church. It's a principle that's thousands of years old. It's a principle that hundreds of people live by here at this church. And so if you've never heard of it, it's, it's a phenomenal one. It actually breaks that appetite for money right off the top by committing the first 10% to say, no money, you're not in charge of me. I'm calling the shots here. I'm giving the first 10 away and we don't consider that to be rock star status because as you maybe have heard when we talk about tithes and offerings the idea of the tithe is actually something that god is uh is inviting us to give back to him because he actually owns it he owns it all but he owns it and so the tithe is this response of like we acknowledge the fact that you own it all god and so we're going to give you this first 10 percent as an acknowledgement of that and then teach us what to do with the other 90 But if that's a lot, man, 10% if you've never given before, you know, just choosing a percentage of your income will be the thing that is actually really helpful. Honestly, when you come to percentages, this is the cool thing, is that it's not about the dollars and the zeros on the checks that you write, not that you write checks, on the transfers that you make through your banking statement, Um, it's about the percentage. You know, Jesus tells this story about, about these rich people that were giving what they would consider like big amounts of money. And you think of somebody that's making 100 grand a year and they write like, man, I'm going to write a $500 check. And like, isn't that incredible? I'm so generous. But they're not. Like it's not actually really impressive. What's impressive is the single mom who's scraping by, who commits to saying, I'm going to still prioritize giving in my life. And commits and, and, and gives money that is 10 or 15% of her income. That's impressive. The percentages matter more to God than the dollars. And so you need to pick a percentage. And for you, wherever you're at in your own personal, you know, money journey, the percentage is something that you have to sort out. 10% is a great place to start. We believe um, as a family that that is the thing. And, and honestly, if, if I let the stories roll from the hundreds of people around this place, they would tell you it's outrageous what God does when you prioritize giving to him in this kind of way. And it's odd because it's, you know, we don't preach like the prosperity gospel, this idea that if you give God a dollar, he'll give you back 10. Like he's already given you the $10. You live in Canada. It's a beautiful place here in Moncton. Uh, So you've got the 10 and yet, and yet there are just so many stories here in our midst of folks that prioritize God for the first time. And his response was to bless them and entrust them with even more resources than they had before. I don't totally know what to make of it, and we won't spend any more time on it, but, but know that as you give consistently a percentage of your income, that that is going to be the thing that God's going to take and use to do miraculous things in your midst and in your community. It's so cool to be a part of a church of here. We tithe here at this church and to see what God does through this place, knowing that we get to be a part of it as members who come and give this amount of our resources because God has called us to do it. So you give uh, that percentage, but then the second thing you also need to do as you give extravagantly is you need to give randomly. So you give extravagantly and your percentage will go up over time, hopefully. Like that's the idea is that as you give, you get excited about it. You see the opportunities. You start giving to other justice works. You see what God's doing through um, all sorts of different ministries around. And so you get on, on board with what God's doing. Um, but then you also should really give randomly. If you've never done this before, this is so fun, especially when you're budgeting and you're like, oh, we have some margin here. Why don't we just give it away? You know, the interesting thing is that the whole idea of wealth redistribution, um, the redistribution of wealth, and you see this online and, and, and in political conversations sometimes, it was never actually meant to be a political conversation. It was always meant to be a kingdom conversation. You know, if you follow the people of God throughout the scriptures, the redistribution of wealth is something that's actually been close to the heart of God for a very long time. And that as the people of God were actually called to, to find the people who desperately need it, to find the poor and to feed them, to find those that are naked and to clothe them, to visit the people in prison, to find the single moms, the widows, the orphans, and to offer to them the resources that they need. And so if you can find opportunities to give randomly and to surprise people by just being generous, um, it's, at least for us, we get giddy. Like, I, I've never done drugs, but I assume that's like a, like a kind of a drug-like thing where you're like, we get really excited about this. Like, it's so fun. It changes our demeanor. And it, what happens is when you go to, like, a restaurant and, you know, the bill's $25 and then maybe you tip, like, $25 or the bill's $50 and you tip $100. And, and what happens is is that uh, it's it, it it's you, you, know, you can't do it yet. If you've got to work your baby steps, you get there. But um, but when you get there, and, and they and, and you put the number in, and they're doing the small talk thing to you know drive the tip, and then they take a few steps and they, and they're kind of walking, and it's usually about five steps in, and they pause. You know the person, the server, um, they pause and they look at that debit slip, and they're like, and they have this two or three second conversation in their mind where they're like. Did they mean to do that? And, and like, what am I supposed to do now? And then they turn around and they're like, did you mean to do that? And you get this chance to be like, yeah, me, like Merry Christmas or like Jesus loves you or come to church um, or, or just like, hey, thanks for, for today. Whatever it is, giving randomly is so much fun. And again, it allows you to say to your money, I am not going to be ruled by you. I get to be ruled by what God is calling me to. And so you got to give it away. So build the plan. Count the dollars, and that will allow you to live in such a way that you can give extravagantly all the time. Two last thoughts, and then, and then we're done, and, and we'll wrap up. Um, the first is for anybody that, uh, that has a high, uh, high income in particular. A lot of times when, when you are making a lot of money, um, especially you know, when you think about conversations like this, it can be challenging. Like, what am I supposed to think about my high income? And, and I need you to know this, that no matter how much money you make, you should never feel guilty about it. You should never feel guilty about how much money you make unless you're making it by selling illegal drugs or by cheating people or by doing something like Ill- like wrong. Like then you should feel guilty and you are guilty. So hey, congratulations, you'll be found out. But if you're doing all the right things, you're offering value to people and you're making a stink load of money, you should never feel guilty for that. Because it's not your money. The money that you make isn't your money, remember? You're a money manager and money managers money managers never feel guilty. Why? Why do money managers never feel guilty? Because it's not their money. It's not your wealth. It is God's wealth that he's entrusting to you. So you never have to feel guilty about it. You don't have to feel guilty about that giant commission check that you just cashed. God is giving you an opportunity to do something and it belongs to him and you're managing it for him and so good news. You get to be entrusted with it. But money managers, of which you are, money managers are responsible. And this is the trick, right? Money managers are responsible and they're accountable. So you see that money come in and it's not just like it's your, you've just got money that you get to do whatever you want with. Because you're a money manager, you feel responsible for how much? Remember? You feel responsible for all of it. All of it. That responsibility weighs on you. And it's something that you have to take really, really seriously. But you should not, should not, should not feel guilty about it. Then lastly, 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 uh, and, then, and then we're wrapping up here. If you're a Christian, if you're somebody who, you know, has prayed a prayer, has decided that, again, Jesus is my king and I'm following after him, you should know as we think about money, because it's easy to, again, sidestep this a little bit, that it, until Jesus is first in your finances, until Jesus is first in your finances, he's not actually first. If you haven't put him at the, at the forefront of all of the things that you're responsible for, then, then you're not actually trusting him. Until you surrender everything to him, until you surrender your finances to him, you haven't really surrendered. So until Jesus is first in your finances, he isn't really first, and you aren't actually a follower of him. He's made this really very, very clear throughout the scriptures. If he is not first in your finances, you are not a follower. You are a user. And here's what we know. You remember this? That no one, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. So choose wisely. For you, for your family, for your future. Choose who you are going to serve. Let's pray. Father, it's an easy message to talk about in some ways, but, but gosh, it's a hard one to live out. You know, it's easy to say on, on paper that it's all yours and it's easy to claim that and to have those intentions, but when push comes to shove and you invite us into something that doesn't make sense, when you invite us to move that money over to that project, and we realize that our money has actually had more of a grip on our heart than we, than we would acknowledge, man, that's when it's hard. And God, I know that, that my journey has been plagued with times when I've squandered the resources you've entrusted to me, and for that I'm so sorry. And God, for any of us that are listening, as we process what it means to, to put you first in this area and to relinquish control, God, we're gonna need a lot of your grace and you've offered so much of it already. Would you give us clarity? Would you give us the right person to speak into it? Would you let us be open? Would you break open our hard hearts? And God, would you allow us to be used of you in practical ways in our midst? God, we're gonna need courage. We're gonna need wisdom to do this well. But God, I pray that there would be a day when, when on the news, on Facebook, on social, that the story would be that these Christians are crazy because it's like they don't even care. They don't even care about their wealth. They give it away so freely. They do so much good work. Our world is different because of these crazy Christians and they, it's like their allegiance is to a different place. And their allegiance is to a different kind of bottom line. And so, Father, I just pray. I pray that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours and that you would take control and that we would be willing to relinquish it to you. And we choose that you would be the one. You would be the one that we would serve and not our appetite for our stuff and for our money. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus.